Hello all. The WCI team is back after a bit of hiatus with episode 19 of the Cricket with the West Coast Infidels podcast. This is Vasant and today with me are Anand and Vijay. Ram is back in India on his travels and is missing this episode. A lot has been happening in the little more than a month since we had our last show. The Ashes concluded. Team India sputtered and spluttered along in their tour of the Caribbean. The first season of the Major League Cricket came and went. The Aussie and English fans and their respective pundits have been going at each other about the Ashes. The English talk about a moral victory. The Aussies talk about them winning the Ashes. And they also rub it in saying that they won the netball as well. They beat England in the final in some netball World Cup. In the meantime, just to keep things uh, focused on India, Harman Preet decided that the only way to get some attention to women's cricket was to indulge in some sword play with the stumps. In today's episode, we will be touching upon the aftermath of the Ashes and the impact on the rest of the field, in particular India. We'll talk about MLC Season 1 and the prospects of this league in the longer term. We'll finish with a discussion on our tour to West Indies in terms of gains and lost opportunities. So let's start off with the Ashes. Since the Ashes have finished, the fans from the two teams have been arguing as to who really won. There was a rain at Old Trafford. There was a dodgy ball at the Oval. The Aussies talk about the absence of Lyon. The English talk about the absence of Leach and Pope. And also complain that Barstow was injured. At the end of the day, we have to say it was a wonderful series. A 2-2 result seemed fine. And who really cares who hold, who's holding the ashes? Both the teams got together and started whining about the overrate penalties since that actually has put a big hole in their progress towards the World Test Championship final. And of course, they immediately blame India for that. So, Vijay, what do you think? No, this was super exciting to watch, first of all, right? The whole ashes thing. First of all, it was tension-free watching. You, you really didn't care who won <laughs> as long as they entertained us. And I think pretty much every game went into the last day, right? I think. Except for the rain-affected ones and all that. There were playing days all the time. And so it was really engaging from the get-go. I think the very first ball was dispatched by Crawley for four, if I remember right. So they were on the offensive. I was kind of neutral. And then somewhere in between, as they started losing England, I became a fan of England team. <laughs> this is my uh, usual uh, way of supporting somebody. They first have to you know, fail miserably for me to support them. And with England, that worked out really well, this series. Stokes, actually, there was no doubt, right? If, if you look at the leadership, one guy was, was uh, leading 2-0 after two games, and the other guy had lost two games. And then you, you look at who's the better captain and you still were looking at the guy who lost those games. So that was very interesting about this Ashes. Like, you know, that one guy was trying everything in his <laughs> uh, arsenal to not only win, but uh, have an entertaining win. The other guy was barely holding uh, fourth and then eventually it caught up to the Australians, right? Couldn't really stop the English juggernaut, especially after Crawley started hitting with that 180. It was uh, game over for their bowlers. No clues as to what line they should bowl and things like that. Very defensive from that point. I think what Basball did was expose Cummins as a very defensive captain. 
So if at all Australia have to do something after going back, they'll have to look at their leadership options. But knowing Australia, they, they might just brush it off and continue with Cummins for uh, some more time. The other thing about baseball was I kept wondering, like, you know, with, with broad retiring and if they are coming to India in six months' time, what kind of bowling attack will they have? And uh, I think they'll still score at a very high rate, even in India. But that will mean that their bowlers will have to bowl longer and quickly thereafter, right? Because their their innings end very quickly. Like 80 overs was the maximum I think they played the most. So that means that when they go out of England, where the conditions are a little bit more unfavorable to them, Will they change their tactics so to give their bowlers more rest time? Those are the thoughts that came to me uh, at the end of the Ashes series. How about you, Anand? So, a few things. Between the two captains, Pat Cummins won a test with his bat. And <laughs> yeah. last did not win a test with his uh, bat or the ball. Right? Cummins came ahead. And I was uh, listening to statistics from Date and... Apparently, this was the most unlucky bowling performance for Pat Cummins. He he extracted one wicket for every 14 fall shots that he bought. Apparently, his usual range is about five or six. So, it's not that Pat Cummins failed with the ball. It was, you know, completely unlucky. And that is thing is this is the you know this is an anomaly that happened and next series against Pakistan is going to revert to the mean right and that is the biggest Pat Cummins fan but having said that the remarkable thing about is it on record saying Cummins is better than McGrath or something like that right he is yes he he, he actually <laughs> says Cummins is McGrath with pace ah yes. yeah yeah so but here is the interesting thing for playing in England against England where the English have usually ruled, you know, in their friendly conditions. One test was a washout, which Australia should have lost. That's fine. The other four tests were decided by three wickets, two wickets, 30 runs and like 40 runs or so. Statistically, anything would have happened in those four games. It is just that Pat Cummins and Lyon batted their skin out in the you know first test and Australia won. They were very, very close. I was like very surprised how well... Australia held. In fact, all the marketing buildup that the English commentators and everybody gave, we supposed to expect a blowout. From that point of view, it was a remarkable victory. Like having said all of this, the whole bunch of very interesting statistics that Andy Zelsman produced, which is Wokes in England is a different bowler completely, but nothing more than, you know, Wokes had more wickets than Ollie Robinson, James Anderson and Scott Boland combined. And they're all, the other three are supposed to be very good bowlers in England. Another interesting figure, Zach Crawley and David Warner were the two players with the most innings of 20 plus. I didn't expect to see Warner because our mental image was Warner failed a lot, but apparently he was one of the most consistent. And we have discussed this, I think Ram Ayer posted this, Australia had the least number of maidens in a five-test series, 34. That should tell us. First time ever, Pat Cummins went for an economy rate of over four and a half and over in five consecutive innings. Their England's run rate was 4.74 overall, was the second fastest behind England scoring in Pakistan's Pakistan's roads against Pakistan's really crippled bowling attack. That was fairly remarkable as well. 
But here is where it gets interesting. And this is what I think tells us what is going on with English cricket and English pitches. Neither team was dismissed for less than 220. Apparently, it hasn't happened in decades. Usually, there is a collapse. Stuart Broad wakes up on the right side of the bed and he gets 8 for 15 and Australia collapses in a puddle. Did not happen. Six England players had a series aggregate of 300 runs or more. Uh, as but I that's said, a very arbitrary number, right? You pick the lowest score of the series and say nobody scored before that. <laughs> right, but that tells you nobody collapsed, right? The collapse there, is, there was no, yeah, there was no 100 something or anything. Like there yeah. was no collapse at all. The four matches were decided by fewer of 50 runs or three or fewer wickets. That's very close. These games could have gone either way. The other fun fact, not a single batter was run out in both teams across five tests. There was one who was stumped, right? That created a lot of controversy. Right. That's, that's stumping. <laughs> that is stumping, technically. And like, yeah, Stuart Broad did the, the bail swap twice. And on both instances, he got a wicket right after that. Right. So a lot of remarkable things, but for good or for bad, maybe because England did not like losing to India, England did not like losing to South Africa, England did not like losing to New Zealand. In England, they have decided the pitcher should go flat. That kind of works with basketball, I suppose. But I think they missed a trick. And particularly with Anderson, you know, refusing to retire and not bowling his best. This was England's ashes to lose and they did. That's how I look at it. In spite of all the drama, in spite of Ben Stokes' afternoon, was that at Lords? I think the second test at Lords, right? In spite of Ben Stokes, you know, giving us a lot of entertainment and all of that, this should have been at least a 4-1 Ashes victory, like a clear Ashes victory for England. And I think Australia comes out ahead, in my opinion. Now, speaking of Anderson, I was reminded of that character in uh, Office Space, the movie. Like, nobody tells that guy he's fired. <laughs> he just keeps showing up. And he's sitting in the basement with that red stapler. <laughs> Swing yeah. line red stapler. Swing line red stapler, right? <laughs> yep. Here's the thing. England, we, all, we, we keep talking about England's batting. Apparently, in one of those tests, England had six bowlers with 100 test wickets each. They had Ben Stokes as the sixth bowler, you know, sixth chain bowler who was not bowling. Six bowlers with 100 wickets each. And that's quite remarkable. In spite of, you know, Anderson, they were carrying Anderson, I thought, right? That bowling attack was not good enough to dismiss Australia, you know, outright, which was remarkable. Ball notwithstanding, and Ponting is going to complain about the ball yeah. on the fifth. Yeah. But I do think this business of uh, putting up uh, what you call shirt fronts as pitches has been going on from their white ball times. They figured out that the only way they're going to win anything in the white ball World Cup was just keep on attacking, for which you got these flat roads where the ball didn't deviate, and they just batted other teams out to a World Cup and they seem to have figured out that that's also working in tests and other teams I think are mentally unsure whether they can just launch into that style that England is following I doubt Australia wanted to do this because one attempt at excessive sweeping and all their stakeholders completely took them apart if you remember the Delhi test from the last series there's no way India will ever do it because all it takes is one defeat and everybody will fall on top of the team, the management, the captain, the batters and everything else. England seems to have a lot of support from their board 
team management and their fans. So that's working. Obviously, the percentage of all shots will be very high. Simply because of the way they play. It's all this high risk, swing away at everything. I mean, we all saw what happened to Harry Brook in the IPL. He couldn't put back to ball. In spite of all his runs in England and in Pakistan, once the pitches were slower, required more skill, we saw how good Harry Brook was. I'm not surprised to see the start of high number of false shots. But I do think the Australians just lost the plot when bowling. It reminded me of the days of when Krish Srikanth used to open. And when he made contact with the ball, for the next 20 overs, the opposition didn't know where to bowl, what to do. Because this guy would just hit them all over the ground. In Old Trafford, 100 overs, almost 600 runs. And the Aussies didn't know what to do. Incidentally, there was one of the few innings England batted more than 80 overs. The Australians slowed down the game and that earned them 10 penalty points. But this change in the thresholds from 60 overs to 80 overs essentially did a number on England because they never bat more than 80 overs per innings or 160 overs per match. And Australia just kept on grinding. Everybody complained about Australia's slow scoring. But guess what? The slow scoring meant England bowled more overs got penalty points and they won't make the final. Talking of the penalty points, 19 penalty points is what England was assessed for the series. Technically speaking, it's supposed to have been 21, but for the changing of the goalposts, Australia was assessed 10. It should have been 25. Oh, God. They got away to the tune of 15 points because these guys changed the goalposts. Because the irony is Usman Khawaja is still complaining about it. He was the one who really pushed this with his friend Vaseem Khan, who is some ex-PCB guy who probably first didn't realize that doing this change was going to impact Pakistan negatively until somebody must have pointed out, hey, by doing this, Pakistan is losing out. So they made sure that the points penalty was not completely waived off. Will baseball work in India? The question here is, what kind of pitches are we going to uh, put up there? If we are going to put these rank turners, I think that's going to work against us. Because the games play all in the 150, 200, 250 range. These baseball guys, they'll just swing away, 30, 40 runs will come in a hurry, and that'll be the difference. Instead, if you put the usual slow turners, no problem. We'll slowly grind them to dust over the course of five tests. That would be my take. Thoughts? Yeah, no, first of all, yeah, that points penalty, right? I, I I think West Indies are above England in the table. Yes. By by virtue of bowling faster. Not the old West Indians fast bowling. This is just quickly finishing their overs. <laughs> <laughs> That was interesting to me. I didn't expect the penalty to be that steep that these would topple England in the table. And I think we all know England is a very good middle-order table position. That's their position always. Always. Somehow or the other, they fall there. The other thing is basically that, for me, the turning point in the Ashes was finally Wokes got his cloud cover at Headingley. (laughs) Once that happened... Everything turned in England's favor. <laughs> yeah, but talking of the matches themselves, if you noticed in the first test, both teams in the second innings scored 50 plus runs after the eighth wicket fell. Hmm. What 
we keep on talking about how Cummins and Lyon played beautifully to get 56 runs or something. But guess what? England also did the same thing. Had they been rolled over 50 runs short, then there's no Cummins, no Lyon requiring to do all these things, right? And in every game, there were small phases where one team did better, and that was enough. Australia just made a lot of inroads in that uh, English second innings in Lords, which meant even if when Stokes tried to do whatever he tried, it was just not enough. And then the Aussies had a collapse at Headingley, right? Very quickly, they lost seven wickets in a hurry, or five wickets in a hurry. So I think it's all these little, little phases that were won by one team or the other. The only thrashing was at Old Trafford. Old Trafford was a one-sided game. Yeah. So the interestingly, the, the Ben Stokes innings in Lord, he gave eight catches. He did. The Australians were so frazzled by the assault. Not only, usually, you know, they, their bowling, you know, they didn't know what to do. Particularly after Lyon went after the one and a half test. They played three and a half tests without Lyon. If Lyon played the last, you know, three tests, who knows what would have happened. He would have bowled endlessly from one end, right? He did. Particularly after Lyon went, the bowlers frazzled. But before that, in at Lords, England dropped him seven times of various... And it's like Steve Smith dropped broad, which never happens, which, you know, people read it as everybody was like just awestruck by the assault, <laughs> right? And that's what. But eventually the eighth catch... You know, somebody uh, held on to it. So yeah, that's what happened. I mean, I mean, back to India. I mean, it is going to be interesting. It, it depends on if India plays all three: Jadeja, Aksar, and Ashwin. Even on a slow track, you can't hit. Can you hit Aksar and uh, you know Ashwin and Aksar and Jadeja out of their lines and length? Uh, I don't know. And Ashwin will probably come in and take the wickets because he's going to attack. Ashwin will become the attacking bowler at that point. You know, he's going to go for wickets against England. That's what I anticipate. But as you said, you know, if the, if it's a rank turner, it's a question of, you know, two or three overs which go for those extra 20-30 runs. That might be the yeah. So that's my concern here because in case we give them rank turners and then Crawley makes contact with the ball. That's 30-40 runs before our guys understand what can be done. But guess what? The Australians tried that. And that was what? Nine wickets for 50 runs in Delhi? So it's not going to be that easy doing that to Ashwin and Jadeja. How many games actually? Four or three? Five. Four, I think. Five five. Five this time. And guess what? None of them are in a major center. Huh. All of them are uh, in uh, secondary locations. Not sure why. In fact, there was a joke going around that Moeen Ali made a comment saying, looking at the venues of the test matches, I'm not coming. Huh. Wow. So, very Which strange. one should we focus on? The venue or the test match portion? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I don't even remember. But I think uh, there is Ranchi, there is Vaisag, there is Rajkot. And I don't know where it's... Just looking it up, it's Hyderabad, Shakapatnam, Rajkot, Ranchi, and Dharmasala. Dharamsala. Oh, <laughs> I keep calling that. it Dharmasala. <laughs> da, da, Dharamsala will be interesting. If they play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're still growing <laughs> the grass there, right? 
<laughs> Man, like, I, I don't get it. The last series, they changed the test. There are people who reserved flights and hotel rooms. Yeah, yeah. Before this India-Pakistan came, they had, they, they were stories of people reserving hospital beds and all, right? And then you change the date. <laughs> oh, they changed eight dates. Not one, not two. They changed eight. So, every team was hit. But again, who knows? Again, next week, they'll say somebody complained, so we'll change it again. And uh, finally, they'll come down to the point wherein all tickets will be sold on the day of the match. Please line up. That's it. So, and imagine 120,000 people at Motera. Is that the capacity of Motera? Uh, depending on whom you ask. Some people say 119, some people say 130. Apparently, both numbers are posted. One on one side, one on the other side. There is some plaque somewhere that says 119. The other side, it said 130. So <laughs> I think it depends whether or not it's election time or not. <laughs> Numbers will expand. <laughs> so, so yeah. Oh, but interestingly, it, looks like there are no test matches between now and December 14th. Correct. So Ashwin, wow. so Ashwin is moving to doing hockey, right? He was last seen in the India-Pakistan hockey game. In that Asian Champions Trophy, he doesn't have any national team cricket to play. No, Dindical game. Doesn't he uh, play for Dindical? <laughs> yeah, that's... Oh, he went and played the first division, got tonked for 70 runs for no wickets. Oh, wow. Day. Yeah. But again, he played. We are obviously going to end up in South Africa with some green wickets. Unless the South Africans forget and they think Bangladesh is coming. You know what they did last year, right? They... Put three pitches against us, which are nice, fast, bouncy. The ball never was below the chest. And then when Bangladesh came, they gave them two turners. And their spinners, Keshav Maharaj and Simon Harmer, took something like 30-some wickets between them. So Bangladesh was spun out by South Africa. It's the venues because in Durban and Port Elizabeth, or Keberha as they call it, the pitches are slow, the ball turns. You play in Centurion, Joburg or Newlands, it's all fast and bouncy wickets and that's where we are playing in two of the three. I don't know who got dropped out. But speaking of South Africa, probably a good segue into MLC. <laughs> lot of fanfare, lot of noise. I will say that I didn't follow it very closely, only bits and pieces. I, I hardly saw much of the games. So Vijay, your thoughts? Yes, you guys know, I actually volunteered for the fan day for SF Unicorns. I got to see the players up up close. I mean, pretty much everybody I'm, I'm seeing for the first time. And I was telling Anand, I think, they all looked supremely thin and fit. Like, I, I didn't expect that. In, 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 when watching on TV, they look, you know, fit, fit but a little bulky. But they were actually, like, you know, sideways. They were like... a Really uh, lean machine, each one of them. Stoyness, Finch, doesn't matter. Even Finch looked less talky in person. Oh, did you hear the story uh, about Stoyness? So he walks down in New York and suddenly he's stopped by some photographer who says, hey, I want to take some photographs of him, Stoyness and wife. And he takes a bunch of photographs, nice one, and he posts them. He doesn't know who this guy is. He just says, where are you from? Australia. Oh, I like the accent. This guy posts. And later he's told, do you know who that was? 
it's a famous australian cricketer <laughs> that was hilarious even actually he's doing the rounds now on social media how this guy clearly he has no clue who this who stoinis is <laughs> and apparently stoinis's wife is a model the one thing at least for the unicorns i noticed was like i couldn't figure out how where they practiced <laughs> if at all they practiced and it kind of showed in how they performed as well because you know they had all these engagements of promoting the franchise and doing a lot of i think they had one net session in santa clara our wilson cricket ground but apart from that uh, these guys were pretty much on their feet on the road and promoting before they actually went to the games first in dallas and then in la but i i thought it was a great great advertisement for the game uh, i saw a lot of interest even among uh, uh, non cricket followers to try and understand what is going on how this game is being played i i think typically they associate at least in the area they associate with the southeast asian community and to see a few more commonwealth countries participate was uh, a revelation for these guys and i also had the opportunity to talk at length with the mayor of uh, fremont mayor lily may and she got excited about the whole game and uh, her children now grown up they are all into sports like water polo and other things but she was like you know th- this seems to extract a lot of physical uh, exertion from the players themselves so i think they achieved what they set out in creating awareness and they already have big name backers so i think it's going to come back stronger uh, next year all the big franchises are already there that's about the league itself the games and the south african contingent stitched together the most consistent team and as, as it always happens they lost in that one game south africa has to lose in a in a final even amre couldn't change their fortunes there they made some interesting choices with parnell as the captain and uh, classen and uh, dickock andrew tai was a good choice uh, he's travels really well so a good good bunch of players who are just under the superstar status but elevated as a team to to perform well except in the finals the tsk the other csk flattered to deceive i, I think they just didn't gel well as a team and the whole rise thing happened when you name your team as right you don't even have to make fun of it it's in the name i i i sporadically followed the games in like mlc that the top performers were puran dikka classen conway tim david like these are the players you always hear in the ipl that they're going to you know be fire in the ipl and usually never happens and all of them kind of fired and with the ball bolt was very interesting like i mean he just keeps on giving and bolt was the reason i think why new york mumbai indians that's another funny name one right i was interested to see this name i had to google and find out who cameron gannon is but bolt gannon tai imad wasim and saurabh netra walkar is saurabh native us cricketer as well i think no, so i think no he has played ranji i think mood here okay yeah but cameron gannon is a us player right i think he's also very old i think he played for some other country and then immigrated yeah i mean so i thought that was impressive uh, as in players who you generally expect to fire in the ipl they all did well in mlc i've never seen them do well in uh, ipl um, i followed a few games 
I think, yeah, like the, will it jump to the mainstream? I know Vijay seems to indicate they will. I haven't seen it yet. Hopefully in a few years, it will catch up. To me, at the end of the day, it's all about how much money is going to get pumped in. What is the patience of the franchise owners? How long will they wait to start getting some returns? Mm-hmm. And the first season is always uh, sort of, it's new stuff. And it'll bring in people just out of curiosity. I think the real test will be from the second season to see how this rolls. If they go home and away, maybe things will become better. So any other thoughts? No, I think uh, probably what they missed, and you can't really plan for these things. If you plan for these things, it goes under the match-fixing folder. But uh, there was no viral stuff happening, right? If, If you look at Big Bash League, and they started it, they would find this extraordinary catch. This is not Australia. That there's anyway great coverage, extraordinary catches, some really innovative shot making. All those things will come. None of that happened. I think the organizers would have prayed for something like that. The only thing they got was, I think, that shot run out, <laughs> which was oh. pathetic to look at. <laughs> it was not a good advertisement for cricket. Uh... <laughs> But otherwise, yeah, they, they missed that uh, viral conference. So let's get on to our uh, third topic of the day. How are our guys doing in the West Indies? The first part of the tour were the test matches. Absolutely one-sided. There was really no business. There shouldn't have been a 2-0 series, but for the rain. I don't think at any point of time there was any, any resistance but then rain came in and with that they got 16.67% on the WTC table to get ahead of England. The white ball series was surprisingly competitive. I think almost four of the six games were actual contests. Neither team just ran away with it. Looks like the West Indies team is not too bad. That said, I think the India team has been underperforming in this series. They've been struggling a little bit more than I expected. So, but again, the games have not been compelling enough. It's been dull. Even though a couple of games are pretty tight, it's still not something that was very exciting to watch. Yeah, I didn't understand why Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli played and then they didn't bat. You know, someday I'll understand. I don't understand why Sanju Samson plays number three, which seems to be the worst spot for him. Somehow, every time they play Samson, I feel that they are setting him up for failure and they are like, just fail already. He doesn't seem to get the support that, say, Sky gets in the own day international team, right? They, they seem to give, you know, infinite opportunity to Sky. Whereas Sanju doesn't seem to get the same kind of love. All of this is interesting because I, I don't see Sanju or Ishan Kishan coming back to the one day international team when KL Rahul is fit. We'll see. I mean... They all seem subpar, but in, in particular, the team selections were very iffy on the Indian side. I, it's, it seems like there there's no thought applied. There's, everything is completely random. Is the management taking it seriously at all? I mean, I don't know. Actually, I think they are. I mean, the only mistake I think they made was to let Rohit and Virat stay and play them in that first of the ODIs mm-hmm. when they did nothing. Mm-hmm. They needn't have been part of the tour. And... The team management should have used this as an opportunity to find out who among the fringe players could
could fill up any open slots for the ODI World Cup and who mm. among the fringe players is going to be ready to be part of the 2024 T20 World Cup which actually we managed to pick out uh, one game I think Tilak Verma really looks the part so he might just have got himself into a nice position to be considered there is a series next week in Ireland Tilak Verma is part of that group and then we have the Asian Games again Tilak Verma is I think part of that so that's all looking ahead towards the 2024 T20 World Cup. I think the T20 team has to be sort of constructed for the World Cup and they might not even go back to Virat and Rohit for that World Cup. Although wow. having said that, just today, I saw one stat about Virat Kohli. He averages 270 while chasing in a T20 World Cup. The next highest is 50. His average in winning causes in a T20 World Cup game is 518. That's how successful he has been playing the World Cup pressure games, especially when we are chasing. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I just want to touch up on some interesting stuff from the Test uh, series as well, right? One, Ashwin was phenomenal. Uh, I think there was a rarity when he got uh, Tej Narayan uh, Chandrapal out. A rare occasion where both the father and son have been dismissed by the same bowler. I think one other instance has been... I was confident that this is the first time, but turns out Vaseem Akram has dismissed both Lance Kane and Chris Keynes. <laughs> I was... Uh, even in the English series, I was confident that uh, Nitin Menon being younger than James Anderson was a... Singular event. But I even posted it and uh, asked Stephen Collin. And he replied saying that it's not that rare. In fact, Simon Toffel was only 29 when he debuted as an umpire. So pretty much everybody <laughs> at the time was older than him. <laughs> so rar- rar- rarity, but not that rare. Coming back to the test team, we went into these series seeking answers for our batting middle order. And we finished the series 1-0, seeking answers for our batting middle order. Like, what is going on? <laughs> it's like, you know, the two openers, and then a big gap, and then Jadeja, Ashwin, they all come in. <laughs> Gil, Rahane. Oh, okay, uh, probably not giving credit to Kohli. He did well. But that's it, right? Nobody else around him uh, did well. So it's going to be another gamble next time we have a game, I think, against South Africa. And then moving on to white ball cricket. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Yeah, I mean, no pun intended, but completely different ball game. And we got caught out. Our reserves got caught out. Overall, Mukesh Kumar seems to have performed well in every chance he has got. But that's it. I mean, for them, probably you can say that West Indies, Ali Katanizi has been the find of the tour. So they found somebody to carry the torch forward for the middle order, uh, bowls as well. So kind of a mixed back tour where uh, nobody really stood out. Barring Jaiswal's debut century and Ashwin's bowling, it's been like even Stevens otherwise. What's that guy, Shai Hope? Uh, apparently he's an ODI legend. He averages 55. <laughs> and... Uh, that's for some reason the ODA format is the one that he 
absolutely seems to thrive on and he did come come good for them right unfortunately i think in on the test side none of the bowlers fired including holder you know the the people who performed against england only 2 years ago none of them actually performed this time but i'm i was very pleasantly surprised i kind of expected them to do well in the t20 games but i was very surprised how well they did in the odi isn't there two more t20 games to go isn't there a five five series five game series yeah they're playing in florida this weekend ah okay one thing about the test matches that we have to remember it sort of went under the radar you know rakim konwal he's actually yeah. a very very good bowler in the first test he actually had our batters in a bit of trouble he was bowling yeah. very well and then he fell sick and yeah. because he was off the field he couldn't bowl for a long time so when he came back to bowl even then he was giving a fair amount of grief and that actually contributed to a middle order struggles in the first test they dropped him from the second to include shannon gabriel but i think had he played through it might have just been a little bit more interesting because he's a good bowler and there's nice loop uh, it's a good all-rounder in like i was surprised how low he batted he was actually a better batsman than the position he was batting in true true yeah i think he's got a legendary score out in in the us there is some league match he played and he absolutely decimated the opposition i think he scored something like 205 or something in a t20 and 200 of those runs came in boundaries wow <laughs> Uh, t- talking about a 200 score we we had prithvi shah the odi 100 yeah old man shah <laughs> yep yeah what, what is that how did he age so much <laughs> <laughs> uh, he looks so unfit and i mean it's such a pity but he's getting his opportunities i think so he might be out of national recording but i think he'll still play a lot of franchise cricket i think he will play franchise cricket so is is young enough he yes there are franchises that will welcome him with open arms true will, will delhi capitals welcome with open arms next year i don't know we'll see delhi cricket have their arms folded man for everything so they, they're just waiting for the pant magic to happen nazar hussain was commenting that even during the ashes Ponting was checking up on Pant. Let's face it, for the ODI World Cup, we are missing Pant. I'm not a big fan of Pant, the T20 player, at least for India. But in the ODI game, I think he's very special. So, and that's where we have Rahul, though. No, no problem. Test match, you mean, or ODI? ODI, test match, T20, anything. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, he plays test match in ODI, so I'm a little confused what you're oh. saying. <laughs> I think he's uh, he's a shoe in for the World Cup because they'll want their the wicketkeeper to be batting in the middle because they will not want to disturb the prince from his opening slot, and they can't drop the captain, and they can't drop the ex-captain. so it has to be slot 4 5 6 that's available and kishan has conclusively proved that he can't bat in the middle order sanju samsung he's trying his best not to get selected <laughs> sky is of course he's the special case where he keeps on playing his odi team 
I still don't understand how he does so well in T20s and struggles so much in ODIs. So. I've seen this even with the youth players, right? Mm-hmm. You give them a T20, they play with such abandon that they really don't care about results. They go and start with a very attacking mindset. The minute you go into like even a 35-hour game, something in them starts changing. Like they they kind of think that they have to take more time, that that mindset changes. I don't know why. I think it's just uh, a mental thing that, that he has to overcome. Because, you know, for all practical purposes, it's the same rules <laughs> between T20 and ODI. I guess that's what happened in England, right? They overcame the mental block. So they play T20, red ball, white yeah, ball, whatever. <laughs> yeah. whatever it is, we will only do one, one style. Somehow, you know, Harry Brook, the England team has trusted Harry Brook enough to let him play the same everywhere. I don't know how. Anyway. Yeah, the, see, that is what is fascinating to me because generally you would think that the England fans, the ex-players, their management would be very, how do you say, officious, unlikely to give freedom to the players to play the way they want. But they have just let Brook or for that matter... Everybody do whatever they want. Yeah. Look at the way Root is playing. Those reverse. Yeah. How? Flicks. Flicks. Six over third man. He's nailing it. It's not like, you know, he's uh, lucky. He's nailing it. But Ashwin was spot on in his podcast in that that will never happen in India. That will not work. If, I mean, of course, he couched it as uh, everybody doesn't need to do the same thing. But he also said that we won't in India. You won't get the support. So, in fact, it was the same episode when he was pleading with the fans to give the team some support. Yeah, I have to go listen to that. And he got criticized for that, saying that oh, you're already giving excuses. With that, it's time to wrap up this episode. Any final thoughts, guys? I'm a little bummed that there is no test match till December. But yeah, looking forward to the World Cup now. There's the Asia Cup, there's the Ireland series, there's the Asian Games. Okay, I can leave that. How long do you think the one-day international format is going to last? First, Test cricket has to die, right? It won't. Test cricket, I think, at least between India, England and Australia is going to be around. The others will slowly wither away. Two tests each. And then, you know, every every team is reduced to West Indies level. And then eventually there are only three teams left. Yeah. The 100 has to survive. I don't know if the 100 will survive. But you see, New Zealand is remarkable, right? They have somehow survived with their test team, given how little test they are playing. But I I see the excitement for test matches. I don't see it for ODI at all. I, I, I don't. It's like really boring even for me to watch it. Yeah. And honestly, though, if you look at test matches... I mean, the Australia and England were fun. We'll follow India matches, but not necessarily when they play Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and West Indies. So I do think that even for England, Australia and India, it's only when they play each other that it's really interesting. The other teams, nobody really cares. Got it. ODI, they still have this ODI World Cup, which is still the big thing, right? That's the... So, 
<laughs> but think about this, Anand. You can pack only so many advertisements in a T20 game. One day gives you more time. <laughs> That's true. No, that is true. With this, we are wrapping up this episode. Hope you enjoyed. Thank you for listening in.